Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, open it to Acts chapter 19. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 41. The title of the message is See the God's Fall. See the God's fall. Acts 19, verse 21. So we have been watching Paul go through the Roman world. And uh, as he comes in contact with many different cultures, remember that in this time, not a whole lot of atheists existed, but there were people that worshipped different gods and goddesses. And as Paul moved throughout the Roman Empire, throughout the world, He was confronting these false gods. And the gods were falling because every time somebody came to Jesus Christ and committed their lives to him, they had to understand that the declaration of the gospel was this and is this, that Jesus Christ is the way, he is God's Messiah, there is one true God, and therefore all other gods are, by definition, false. And the God of the Bible does acknowledge that there are other gods. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 8, the Bible says there are lords many, gods many. In Galatians 4, verse 8, it says there's only one true God by nature. You can make a God out of anything. As a matter of fact, more people than you can shake a stick at shave their God every morning. And not to leave the ladies out, curl her hair. Our culture is a culture today still dominated by the battle for the true God and whether or not we are going to give in to idolatry. We might think that the idea of an idol is an ancient idea where, you know, maybe when people were not as intelligent or whatever, they, they had a little statue of something or they cut down a tree and, and they made it into their idol and they made sure that it didn't totter on their little shrine and they bowed down to it. But we're way too sophisticated for that now. But actually our idols have just kind of changed. And really one definition for idolatry is any heart level substitute for God. And you're going to see that this is very relevant for all of us today in terms of what we battle against. If you were going to, as a matter of fact, if you were going to kind of just encapsulize the idea of the Christian battle with one thought, it would be that of idolatry. As a matter of fact, the God of this age is Satan. And what is he? The God of this age. He wants people to march to his drum. And so we're all battling idolatry. One writer, one uh, uh Historic commentator said, the heart is a virtual idol-making factory. Jeremiah talked about the fact that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things, are desperately sick. Who can understand them? So while it is true that we probably, most of us, haven't seen statues or that kind of thing, perhaps, and those do still exist, our idols are a little bit uh, harder to identify, but still no less of a, a temptation and powerful to forsake them. So let's, let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you that the gods were falling in many lives and the people of Ephesus. We see this powerful move of the Spirit and the confrontation, really world uh, powers in conflict. But we know that your kingdom, Lord, is a freeing kingdom. And we know that when people are freed from idols, they're set free to serve the living and true God. 
As we see the Bible unfold, we see that idols are really worthless things. And if there's anything behind an idol, 1 Corinthians 10, it's demonic. And Paul would say to the Corinthians, I don't want you to drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. And so, Lord, this is a a relevant issue, and thank you that you are a God that sets us free. We want the God's small g to fall in our lives. We want them indeed to go into the fire so that we can be more authentic, more purified in our worship of the one true God. So lead us where you want us to go this morning as we have our Bibles and we're attentive to hear what you would say. May you be glorified, add and take away from what I've prepared so that you would speak. We just lay this time at your feet in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 19, look at verse 21. See the gods fall. Now, after these things were finished, if you have an NIV, it says, after all this happened, Acts 19.21, Paul purposed in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. After he had passed through Macedonia and Ikea, Corinth was the capital of Ikea, and he was saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul wasn't done. He was now uh, coming into his third missionary journey, but he was a little man with a big vision. And I ask you, right from the get-go, do you have a vision? Do you have, I must do this in your vocabulary? Paul wanted to go to the imperial capital. He had hit a bunch of main places that had a lot of world impact on them, but he still wanted to go to Rome because Rome was dominating the world. He wanted to preach to the emperor if he could. He wanted to stand before kings. He wanted to finish his race. With all that Paul faced, he said, you know what? I must also see Rome. I hope you have some things on your to-do list. Sometimes people call it the bucket list. But you know what? Hopefully the bucket list that you have is more spiritual. Hopefully it's about things that you want to do for the kingdom of God to redeem your time. And so if you look at your Bible, it says, after these things were finished. Now, whenever you're reading your Bible and you see something like that, you say, what things? Well, we talked about them last week. Many were getting serious with God. Idols were literally falling into the fire. Look at Acts 19, verse 18. Many also of those who had believed, so these were believers who had already received the gospel, kept coming. They were confessing and disclosing their practices. NIV says they were openly, they openly confessed their evil deeds. And many of those who practiced magic or sorcery brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of all. The gods, if you will, were going into the fire. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. And that's how we ended last Sunday. And we asked the question, is the word of God growing mightily in you? Is it prevailing? Or are there other things squeezing out the word of God in your life? What's prevailing in your life right now? That's really what today's all about. And I think maybe we could even say moment by moment it changes, right? We all want to live for Christ, but we have so many challenges that come at us, so many things kind of warring for our attention. Now, what drove the people to this particular act of openly confessing their sins and burning their, their magic books was a radical thing occurred. Do you remember? There was a demon-possessed man and the seven sons of Sceva, this alleged Jewish high priest, tried to use the name of Jesus. And they said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. And remember the Spirit says, I know who Jesus is. 
And I know Paul, but who, remember, are you? And the seven sons of Sceva took a licking. They got pounded by this demon-possessed guy, and they went out of the house naked and bleeding, news at 11, remember that? (laughs) Because they didn't have a personal relationship with the Lord. They were just trying to use his name as uh, another one on their syncretistic ladder. If this name doesn't work, I'll try this. If this name doesn't, I'll use the name of Jesus for convenience, not that I actually know him. And when people do that, the Lord may just say, you don't know me. So if you don't know me, I'm not going to protect you. And man, those guys got beat up and, and people were so concerned. They said, if this happens to the professionals, if this happens to the experts in exorcism, I'm going to make sure my life is right. And so they went home, they got in their closets and they took all the junk out. Anything that was a rival to the allegiance to Jesus Christ, and they burned it up. And it was an awesome day. Many people were being set free. They were letting go of their idols. And I have to say to you that an idol does have adverse effects in your life. I want to show you something. It's found in Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel chapter 14. So you're going to, it's Ezekiel, then Daniel. And if you don't want to turn there, you can just listen to it. Ezekiel chapter 14. I want you to pick it up with me at verse 2. And I want you to see what God said through Ezekiel to the children of Israel. God was constantly warning them about the danger of idolatry. And here's what he says. Through Ezekiel, Ezekiel 14 verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, Ezekiel 14, 3, These men have set up their idols where? In their hearts. Now, it doesn't say in their living room. It doesn't say in the corner where their shrine exists. Idols are a matter of the heart. And that's why they're very contemporary. Because they can squeeze God out of that preeminent place. You see, God doesn't just want your church attendance. He just doesn't want your good deeds. He doesn't just want your morality. He wants your heart. Any good relationship starts there. Other things flow from that. Good deeds, morality flow from a heart relationship. But if you're trying to do those things in place of a relationship, God would say no. Or if you have other things coming in trying to move him away or compete with him. He says, look, they've set up the idols in their hearts and they've put right before their faces, look at verse three, the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? God says, not only do they set up idols in their hearts, but they stumble over them. The Greek word for stumble is scandalizo. And it's the idea of how the Jews stumbled over the cross because they couldn't believe in the grace message and that Jesus was Messiah. But in this case, they stumble over their idols. Their idols were causing people to fall left and right. They were less than they should have been. And God was saying to them through Ezekiel, you know what? They put the, they, it's like they intentionally put a stumbling block right in front of them. They don't consult me. Therefore, verse 4, speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God, any man of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart puts right before his face 
the stumbling block of his iniquity. In essence, God would say it in a contemporary way. If you are embracing idols, you might as well just put something right in front of you that's going to trip you up because that's what you're doing. You're stumbling yourself. He says, and then comes to the prophet. I, the Lord, will be brought to give him an answer in the matter in view of the multitude of his idols in order to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are estranged from me through all their idols. Therefore say to the house of Israel 6, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn your faces away from all your abominations. You see, God says there's a remedy to idolatry and here's what it is. It's repentance. It's turning away from the things that will stumble you and turning to me, says the Lord. And when you do, it will be a freeing thing in your life. Go back to the book of Acts chapter 19, if you would. So we need to see the God's fall. And as I mentioned, it's a contemporary issue in our day. And I want to show you a little bit about the city that Paul's in. He's in Ephesus. He's about to leave thought everything was going swimmingly, and it was. People were being set free. There was a great revival in the land. People were getting serious about God. Uh, Ephesus, I got a little arrow, if you can see it. There's on the, the coast of uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, probably the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. 300,000 to 500,000 people lived in the city. This is a little plan of the city proper, so you can see kind of where some things were. It had a theater. Many of the things that uh, Luke writes about in the book of Acts have been discovered in archaeological digs. It's amazing to me how far archaeology is behind the Bible. Because every time we turn the shovel and we make another discovery where skeptics have said, oh, that place didn't exist. Oh, that's, that's a bunch of hooey. That's not true. Well, you know what? Every time we turn the shovel, we find validation of the Bible. And what Luke writes about in Ephesus, uh, we've, we found many major archaeological discoveries. This is a view of Ephesus um, this is a view of the ruins of the Temple of Artemis. She was the central figure in the city. She was the, the goddess of the city. As a matter of fact, Ephesus was known for the pure worship of Artemis, or Diana is her Roman name. Major temple that was there, grand edifice, and she was the goddess that everybody looked to. She became so prominent that people started uh, dropping off money in her temple because she was known to be the protector of the people, the protector of fertility, all this, all this stuff. So people would deposit money for safekeeping in the bank of Diana. And so somebody got a bright idea and they said, well, if people are depositing this money, we'll start lending it out at interest. And, and so they did. And the city became very wealthy. And, and people were saying, you see, Diana is blessing our city. What a wonderful goddess she is. And there's a statue of Diana dug up in one of the excavations. You can see um, on the front of her, I mentioned that she was a multi-breasted figure, a sign of fertility. There's other uh, historians and archaeologists that believe that what's on the front of her is eggs. And one historian said it's the ova of bees. 
But either way, what it represents is fertility. She's the one that blesses you. And so when you come into Ephesus, there's special blessings that come from Diana. Her image was purported to have fallen directly from heaven. Some people think it was kind of a meteorite. Other people think it's just a legend. But it was kind of this grotesque image. And they thought, oh, directly from heaven is Artemis. And they set up a a temple and it was all to her honor. And she was the center of attention. This is the Library of Celsus, also found in excavations that was right in the heart of the city. They had many well-to-do people, so they had terraced houses with frescoes and different paintings. This is the commercial agora, some ruins of the kind of the hotbed of the city uh, where people would shop and the like. This is another picture of it. This is the Praetonium. This was actually the the, uh, town hall. And what they found here was there was a fire here and the fire would kind of uh, have the heart of the city. And they found little um, images of Diana like I just showed you. And the the basic idea of the town hall fire was we trust in this person or this god or goddess. And they found little statues and coins minted that said, in Diana we trust. So when you came to to Ephesus, you knew this was her city. They uh, uncovered this theater that seats 25,000 people. Every year they had a a celebration to Artemis, and it was called Artemisia. It was kind of like an ancient Mardi Gras. And for a month, the city would, every spring, would celebrate this festival. One ancient who saw the festival said what he saw was men drunk everywhere, people staying out all night in the the courtyards. There was a two-story brothel where prostitutes would give themselves away to men during this festival especially, but all year long without any, you know, worry about immorality. And they would would have this festival and they would go through, led by the priest of uh, Artemis, the curate priest, And they would lead it through the city from the harbor through the agora. They would end up in the theater. All these people would gather. It was like a stadium. They would give speeches to acclaim the goddess. And everybody would yell, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Boy, has she blessed us. This is wonderful. And every year during the spring to make little images of Artemis was big business. So if you were one of those shrine makers and you made the Tickle Me Elmo Artemis, just kidding. But people, people stayed out at night in front of the stores with sleeping bags and they had to get one of these little figurines to bring home to little Susie and Johnny. So there was a run on the mall uh, or the Agora. I'm just kidding. But you, you get the idea. During the festival especially, there was a hotbed of activity and sales of the little miniature version of the goddess. Everybody wanted one. It was big business. The city was thriving. And then this little Jewish guy came in. And it was really inconvenient because you know what he told people? He said, you know what? There's only one true God and Jesus is his Messiah. And by virtue of that, all other gods are false. And it was really cramping some people's style. Because they were selling a bunch of stuff and it was big business and there was all this nightlife and cool stuff going on in the theater and all this stuff. And so, you know, people were getting a little upset that Paul was coming in and saying that idols really aren't anything or if they are anything at all, they're, de- they're demonic. So this was the San Francisco of the ancient world. As a matter of fact, 
Um, the, the temple of Diana ranked as one of the seven wonders of the world. People would flock here to see it. This writer, Pole Hill, says the entire edifice was elaborately adorned in brilliant colors and gold leaf. The altar area was 20 feet square and contained a massive image of the goddess with a veiled head with animals and birds decorating her head and her lower body wrapped like a mummy and her numerous breasts from her waist to her neck. The animals and breasts were symbolic of her status as the ancient mother goddess the goddess of nature, see if this sounds familiar to you, who was believed to protect and preserve the fruitfulness and fertility and productivity of the earth and of all living things. She was Mother Earth. She was the Mother Goddess. And as a matter of fact, even the Roman church at one point in history took some of the worship that happened to Artemis and Diana and it kind of moved toward Mary. And there was some worship that kind of intermingled with Diana and Mary. And obviously it was wrong, but this is something that did happen in history. And so this is the city that Paul comes into. And he's preaching and people are burning their idols. And Paul's thinking, this is great. I tell you what, I'm going to get my tickets. I'm going to get my tickets for the the ship. And we're going to move on to another city. Things are going great in Ephesus. And just when you thought you were going to leave on a good note, well... Things happen. So after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, 21, Acts 19, to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Ikea. That's in the opposite direction. So the question is, why would Paul go there if he wanted to go to Jerusalem? Because he was collecting an offering for the church in Jerusalem from the Gentile churches. Write down, if you're a note taker, 1 Corinthians 16, where Paul says, a wide open door is open for me at Ephesus. I'm going to stay here until Pentecost. Get the offering ready, because I'm going to go to Jerusalem. But he had to go first through the Gentile churches to take the offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And that was way out of Paul's way, but that was his heart. He wanted unity in the early church. And so he sent into Macedonia, 22, Acts 19, two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, and he himself stayed in Asia. That's Asia Minor. He's still in Ephesus for a while. So he's making travel plans. He's going to go get the offering, and then he's going to go to Jerusalem. A little girl became restless as the preacher's sermon dragged on and on. Finally, she leaned over to her mother and whispered, Mommy, if we give him the money now, will he let us go? Uh, So anyway... Sometimes that happens in church, but you know. So about that time, about the time that everybody was repenting and, and Paul was getting ready to go to get the Gentile offering, go to Jerusalem, there arose, verse 23, no small disturbance. That means a big one, by the way. And the disturbance was concerning what? The way. You see, if Paul would have showed up into town and said, ah, you could just add Jesus to your portfolio of gods and goddesses, it's no problem. Just add him on. He's just one of many ways to God. It's fine. There are many roads that lead. Uh, you know, people, this is how people talk these days. It's fine. And you say, well, how do you know there's many roads? Well, Jesus is just one of good, many good moral teachers. But he said he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. He didn't give you the space to say he's just one of many options. He said he is the way. So if you're going to receive Christ, he is called the way. And so this is what stirs people up. Not when you give them another option of spirituality. It's when you give that narrow way, it receives wide opposition. 
How could you say that Jesus is the only way, Christian? And here's how you answer that. Say, I'm not saying that. He did. So if you want to take him seriously, then don't try to change what he said. And so some people were unhappy about all that was going on. And a certain man named Demetrius, 24, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, was bringing in no little business to the craftsmen. That's me, that means it was big business. These guys were making money hand over fist, and they made these little shrines to Artemis, kind of like the picture I showed you. And it was a souvenir, and people would take it home for their devotions, and the God-making business has always been big for the craftsmen. Have you noticed? If you make something that appeals to people, they'll buy it up. The issue here was not doctrinal. It wasn't ethical. This, this sound familiar? It was economic. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Well, we know when, whenever the Apostle Paul went into a place, uh, there was opposition. And now the opposition comes from a man named Demetrius. We find there's no small disturbance concerning the way, concerning the Christian gospel. Demetrius, a silversmith, Acts 19.24, he made silver shrines of Artemis, this false goddess. And it was bringing him a lot of business, and him and the craftsmen. And so... Um, you know, Paul's preaching cramped their business. It cramped their lifestyle. It cramped their, you know, their material prosperity. And when that happens, look out. And, you know, we saw this earlier in the book of Acts in chapter 16 with the little so-called gold mine of the, the girl, the servant girl who had a spirit, a uh, python spirit, and she was making her owners a lot of money. Well, here Demetrius and his cohorts are making a ton of money off these little shrines, these little idols. And so there's confrontation. Uh, there's a big stirring up, and the Apostle Paul wants to go in there, and his friends keep him out. And, and it just shows us that the gospel does stir up. It does, it does challenge the false beliefs, the false notions, the false ideas that are in the world. Doctrines of demons get confronted by the truth of the gospel. False beliefs, false ways. New Age beliefs. People who, you know, are, are banking their destiny on karma and that kind of thing. Folks, it's just not going to happen. There's one way to God, the way. It's interesting that, you know, the, the Christian gospel here is called the way. The church is called the way. They, we proclaim the way, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Of course, Demetrius and his, and his group, I don't know what they really believe, but it was, it was about the financial bottom line for them. Paul was a threat. Of course, he, he does say that Paul saying that, you know, gods made this way are no gods at all. And Paul did say that because it's true. Idols can't see, though they have eyes. Can't hear, though they have ears. They can't feel. They can't touch. They can't talk, though they have mouths. And they can't save. The living God saves.
Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible, and we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.